Hey, Joel here, founder and lead teacher of the Think Institute and host of this podcast. I wanted to let you know about something really exciting that's coming up soon. I've been hosting the ThinkPod for nearly two years, and I've loved speaking with some of the most fascinating minds out there. Well, one of my most fascinating guests and I have decided to partner up and take on a new project. I'm talking about the noted apologist, Cy Ten Bruggenkate. He and I will be launching our new limited run podcast called Answer Anyone at the end of January. You'll be able to join us as we dig into the toughest objections to Christianity using the method that Cy is known for that I talk about on the ThinkPod, presuppositional apologetics. And we're going to reveal to you how you can biblically and effectively defend the truth of the Christian message. We will be rolling out new episodes of Answer Anyone with Cy Ten Brudengate later this month right here on the new Think Institute Network. And there's a great way for you to support the show even as we prepare to launch. You can partner with Cy and myself by going to patreon.com slash answer anyone. Why not go check it out right now? This episode is brought to you by the Christian Culture Builders Group on Facebook and MeWe, believers in Jesus optimistically working to create great commission hubs for the propagation of the gospel, the furthering of Christ's kingdom, and the emergence of robust, fruitful Christian culture. We work through the three spheres of authority, the family, the church, and the state, and the pillars of influence in society to make it happen. Check out the Christian Culture Builders Group on Facebook or MeWe today. Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective, with your host, Joel Sedekes. And now, get ready to think. Welcome to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedekes. I'm Joel Sedekes, and this is the show that challenges you by examining the most impossible questions of life and examines them from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. Now, election year is officially over. Despite what the headlines might indicate, the election is over. And a lot of us are looking at ways that we can influence our culture and society that don't involve voting because there's no election this year. Well, this brings us to our topic today. Now, have you ever driven past your local abortion facility? and thought, man, I know what's going on inside there, and I wish I could do something about it, but what can I do? I don't even know how to get started. Or have you ever seen a group of people gathered outside of a Planned Parenthood? Maybe they're praying, holding signs, maybe they're preaching, and you've wondered, are those people crazy? Or even, should I possibly be out there with them? Well, today's episode is going to answer a lot of your questions. Specifically, we're going to talk about an experience that I had recently out at an abortion mill in Aurora, Illinois, whether the experience that I had was typical. We're going to talk about why some Christians stand outside of abortion clinics. What are they trying to accomplish? We're going to talk about what the message is for the moms and dads who go into these clinics on behalf of the, the, you might call them protesters, activists, uh, Christians standing outside. And I know a lot of you who are watching are wondering and, and wanting to get out there in front of your local abortion mill. And we're going to talk about some practical steps to get started. And to help me do this today, thank God I don't have to tackle this question on my own. My guests today are Glenn Bilkis and Tyler Terdici. So let's bring them on the stream right now. Tyler and Glenn, welcome to the uh, the ThinkPod. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks. Hey, Joel. 
yeah, great to be here. So uh, let me just introduce you guys real quick. Tyler is an associate pastor at the Oasis Church in Aurora, Illinois, really solid church. He's a husband, been married eight years, and he's a father of two young ones. He was also a California transplant before that was cool. So, and uh, Glenn is a maintenance mechanic. He's been married 24 years and has one son whom I've met. And uh, I will say, Glenn, he's a testament to, to uh, your and your wife's parenting. He's an he's a upstanding young man. Praise God. Praise, Praise God. God. Yeah, he's a great kid. So both of you guys are veterans of abortion mill ministry. And I, I am just so grateful to you guys for coming on the show because, as you know, but our listeners don't, I reached out to you guys this morning. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm literally, I was lying in bed and I thought, you know, I don't. I had a guest fall through for today, and I thought, man, it'd be really great to get Tyler and Glenn on to talk about abortion ministry. And um, man, by God's grace and and your guys' willingness, here we are. So thank you guys so much for joining me. Um, real quick, I want to do a um, a quick shout out uh, plug for Tyler's podcast, "The Truth Is Loud," and um, there's a link to that in the in the uh, the show notes. So you can go check those out in the description below this video. Also, if you haven't done so yet and you're watching right now live on YouTube or Facebook, please give us a like on this video. And if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to this channel and hit that bell because that helps us to get the word out about the, quant- the quality content that we're putting out here on the show. So without any further ado, um, how did you guys get involved in this ministry? Because man, I'll tell you what, it's like if ever you wanted to paint a target on your back um, by the culture, this is a great way to do it. Glenn, how did you get started with abortion mill ministry? Well, when I first came to Christ, I was um, convicted to try to do something. I knew I had to make a difference. I knew that God didn't just save me so I could go to heaven someday. God saved me uh, in order to go ahead and bring his kingdom here on earth. And, uh, wasn't sure what to do. Oh, hold on a second. Sorry about that. Um, I wasn't sure what to do. And by God's grace, I was scrolling on Facebook and I ran across my first um, victim image of a preborn child who was aborted. Mm-hmm. And um, needless to say, I was, I was shocked. I, I used to be one who believed that they were just a clump of cells and, hey, it's a woman's body. It could be her choice. But once I saw that, I saw firsthand that that wasn't just a clump of cells. That was a human. That was a person who had been torn to pieces, and it wrecked me. I was wrecked. Like, um, that just got me really involved. I reached out to a group on Facebook. I got plugged in with some people. They pointed me out that there was a place nearby in Aurora. I had no idea it was that close. So uh, that was like, well, I can't tell you the exact year, but probably about eight years ago seven or eight years ago. And I've been there every Saturday since by God's grace. And um, so the the picture was the after effects of abortion. It was a, it was a mutilated human being. Yeah. Was that, it was was like the graphic images that we bring. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. It was, yeah. Graphic images that we usually bring up there. We call them victim images because it's not just a graphic image. It's a human being that's Mm. been, you know, murdered. So we hold those and we hope that it would have the same response that it did for me. I see. Okay. So in holding up that sign, and we're going to talk about motivation and what we're all trying to accomplish here, but in holding up that sign, 
um, the goal is that someone, like you said, that someone would have a similar reaction to what you had, or maybe they'd be shaken out of their stupor a little bit and see, oh, wow, this, that doesn't look like a clump of cells to me. Is that right? Right. Yeah, for sure. Because, uh, yeah, that, the, the proof is in the pudding, right? You could say you don't believe something, but as soon as you see it and you got to face it, uh, you, you got to do a lot of work, a lot of gymnastics to say, oh, that's just a clump of cells. I've had people come up to me and tell me the images aren't real. They're Photoshopped. That's not what a real abortion looks like. And, wow. you know, it's pretty simple to disprove that. I mean, we know what the child looks like in the womb. We have ultrasounds. We've seen pictures. And if a baby is going to be removed from that womb by force, well, what's it going to look like? The baby's not going to come out in one solid piece like a perfect, you know, person. There's blunt, there's blunt trauma that's taking place to that child. And, the, you know, we see it in the images. Man. Tyler, is your story similar or how did you get involved? Well, uh, I mean, as a Christian, I, when I was a Christian, I always considered myself pro-life. So that was never really an issue. I, I don't think there was ever a point in my life where I was like, yeah, abortion's fine. I think I always knew that it was wrong. I never really, I, I mean, I, I found I, when I was reading about what happens in abortion and stuff like that, I was like, man, that's terrible. Where it really clicked for me, though, was actually uh, when my first child was born. Uh, you know, Michelle was in labor and the uh, the midwife that we had was actually having a hard time finding uh, Ellie's heartbeat. And so mm. it was something that was like, if it, it was probably just like five minutes, but it felt like an eternity. And wow. every few minutes, like it just was like, you felt lower and lower as you're like, okay, what's going on here? Because we already knew we were kind of going through some, some, some issues already with it. And so uh, then that's when it really kind of clicked that I've been really pro-life in theory, but after the birth of my first child is when I think I became pro-life in practice. And so then I was like, okay, so if I'm going to be pro-life in practice, not just in theory, like what is that supposed to look like? Uh, do I get involved with a crisis pregnancy center? Uh, what? And so I, by, you know, God's providence, I got hooked up with Apologia Studios and they were not like personally, but like I saw their videos and they were just starting their end abortion now. Uh, ministry where they're sending out signs to churches and stuff. And so I, I emailed them. I said, you know, I'd, I'd love to to go out there and, and bring the gospel. And uh, originally it was just going to be, I was going to go out there. I wasn't going to like hold any uh, image signs. I didn't want to offend anybody. I was just going to go and silently pray. And as I went, um, you know, I just felt the Lord pressing on my heart to to speak out and then to um, bring the gospel and to preach. And the more I actually saw the way that the signs were being used, the more I was like, wow, OK, so I don't really actually have an issue with those. I think uh, that they can be very effective and useful. And, and then it just kind of grew from there. And uh, at that point, um, I was going regularly to Planned Parenthood. Uh, that's where I met Glenn. And uh, I think uh, uh, Glenn was really helpful showing yeah. me the way that you can uh, preach the truth in love in such an environment that it's so easy to get uh, angry and frustrated and overwhelmed. 
And so he was very instrumental in helping me in that area. And then from there, uh, I was still doing uh, work at Planned Parenthood, but I also started going and speaking at the Aurora City Council meetings as well um, to call on our local magistrates to uh, have the courage to repent and to trust in the Lord and to rid our city of uh, of abortion uh, mills like Planned Parenthood. And so that's kind of how it all came around. Man, I can really relate to that, what you said about being pro-life in theory, but not necessarily in practice. I've, I've felt convicted about that for a long time because for a long time, the most pro-life work that I did, quote unquote, was adversarial tweets against Planned Parenthood. And, you know, the funny thing is even that actually drew the ire of some people in my church. This is when I was a pastor. You know, I used to flame Planned Parenthood and, um, you know, not, I mean, in a kind of a smart, snarky way. I mean, I wasn't, you know, cursing at them and, and stuff like that, but but, um, you know, I would ask them every now and then I'd tweet their way, you know, when, when they would tweet something like, uh, uh, you know, we believe in uh, women's rights and stuff like that or, or human rights. I would just tweet back, you guys still killing babies? You know, that kind of thing. And it was and there was one individual at church who really got mad at me, really uh, didn't like that. And I, you know, this person didn't go into specifics, but I believe that's what it was. I believe um, that, that, that was enough to really make people mad. And, and so, but even, even that, that's not anything that's not, you know, it's sort of putting it out there, um, the pro-life sentiment out there. But, um, you know, Tyler, when I found out that you were going out regularly to the clinic, I mean, I knew I had to go. It's been something that I've been, I've been trying to do for a while. And, uh, Glenn, it was so great to meet you out there, man. Um, can we talk about that? You know, when I went out, I want to just kind of describe my experience. You guys can tell me if that was typical or not. Because it was that that was my first time going out there. And it was very interesting. So it's I think it was December, it was getting close to Christmas. And it was it, it felt a little bit like um the Philistine army and the Is Israelite army on two sides. Uh, on two hilltops with a, the valley in between, because you've got all the anti-abortion folks, uh, the pro-life people on one side, and then you've got on the other side, um, the the Planned Parenthood death scorts, as you guys call them, the escorts who who welcome people into the the uh, the abortion chamber and and help them feel you know uh, welcome and and not stigmatized and things like that, and then there's the music playing outside the very eerie music um very very weird kind of psyopy kind of music and and the death courts are standing there like silent sentinels and then on our side there were you know more like reformed kind of calvinist christians and then there were like there seemed to be a lot of catholics there seemed to be a lot of just you know i i couldn't really tell what they were and then behind us they all started singing um christmas carols so a hundred people all singing Christmas carols and I'll, I'll cut to the chase a little bit, but I really wanted to go there and just kind of listen and, and not say much kind of like Tyler, what you were saying. But then as I got there, man, the preacher in me started coming out and um, Glenn, I, I, I was, I was bolstered. My, my courage was bolstered by you. Cause I was asking, I'm like, Hey man, you know, is it, I don't want to overstep my bounds. Is it fine if I go over there and preach the gospel? And you're like, yeah, man, you said, just don't talk over anybody. And um, 
Uh, I forget there was another rule that you mentioned. Do you remember what it was? Uh, well, I know to not talk over everybody, and then also, um, I did. I was at the time that I told you too that they hear the gospel every week, week in and week out. You did tell me that, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure what else I told. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I accidentally muted muted you there for a second. Um, but I but I do remember you. You know, you kind of gave me some ground rules, and. I just, you know, I, I started preaching the gospel to the uh, to the death scorts, and so, first of all, was that typical? Are there typically, you know, a hundred or two hundred people that come out on a Saturday? Um, no, no, yeah. Do you want to go, Tyler? Or you want me to say something? Go ahead, Glenn. Go ahead. Um, typically, there's not too many. Uh, we have stints where we have, you know, um, quite a few different Catholics some Protestants out there. It's not generally overwhelming like that. That was a special time because of Christmas. And then um, I think typically too, you probably noticed that there weren't too many people in the parking lot as far as people coming for abortions. That's, this is a COVID year and the, it, the numbers have been down as far as the people at the clinic. That's not typical though. During the summers, oftentimes it would be, or, or during regular time, that parking lot would have been filled. So, so that was pretty untypical. Okay. And the, the singing and the Christmas carols and, and things like that, was that just because it was Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Okay. That, that in the, when, during like 40 days for life, it usually, you know, it gets kind of packed out over there as well. But overall, overall, you usually, whether it's on a Friday, cause I used to go on uh, mainly Fridays and you would have the same, usually three people there. Um, or there's people that are kind of on like a monthly rotation, but it'd be about three to four people. And then on Saturdays, you probably have some more, but it, it's nowhere near like, like what you saw when you were there. It's still, I would venture Glenn to guess that it's probably about 10 people on a Saturday. Like, you know, yeah. like a typical, what it looks like. And, and Glenn's right. Like, you know, one of the issues with COVID on the one hand, it's great that you know, we're not seeing the parking lot packed out. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, the fear of COVID has really halted a lot of conversations that we used to have. Uh, when I was going out on Fridays, you know, I was getting to a point where I was able to have a conversation with somebody almost every week mm -hmm. to some extent, whether it's somebody who was mad at me and then kind of ran at me and then calmed down and we talked or, you know, I mean, what have you. And then I think during the whole COVID thing, you know, I think there's a lot of fear in that and the way that they kind of have it set up about Planned Parenthood is you stay in your car. You don't really come out and uh, until it's your time to like walk in. Um, mm. But so it's I don't know if this is going to be what it's going to look like typically going forward now. But I would just say when you came, it's different than what Glenn and I have experienced for the last few years. Yeah, it's interesting to think about, you know, is this the new normal? You know, and that could make it even harder to evangelize folks as they're coming in. Um, but then again, I noticed too, that there was at least one couple who was sitting there and they had their windows down and, you know, I mean, so that, so they're here and I don't know if, you know, they were just trying to get some fresh air or if, you know, maybe the, the dad was interested. I mean, what's your take on that? Do you think, do you think that they were listening Glenn or, or was it, was that just more of a coincidence? Um, some do. I think, I think if they don't want to hear it, they make it pretty clear. They go out of their way to roll their windows up or to move their parking space and go to the back of the lot as far away as they can get from you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes they do listen. You know, we don't know what's going on. We could speculate all day, but yeah, some do. Okay. I had a gentleman last week who actually was listening. He got it out of his car and he came over and talked for a few minutes. Mm. Okay. Really? How did that conversation go? Not super great. Not super great. He he um he claimed that they were there with a one other thing too, we don't have the luxury of knowing why people are there. We can make the assumption that they're there for an abortion, but it could be for something else. It could be. Right. Um right. he said he was there because his wife was having a um, miscarriage. And I, I was asking, well, why would you come to Planned Parenthood for a miscarriage? Wouldn't right. you go maybe to the hospital or something? And, um, well, the truth came out that actually, you know, we're older. Um, it might be difficult for her to give birth. All these, you know, he was speculating, too. They were speculating as well. So what it came down to is they just weren't going to have another child. And, um, yeah, I, I shared the gospel with them. I tried to speak to them about it. But after a few minutes, he went back and got in his car and he rolled his windows up. So what is the goal here, guys? When you're standing outside the abortion clinic, there's people coming in. Um, you know, I heard you both proclaiming the gospel, you know. So um, maybe could you just articulate uh, for our listeners and viewers, what are you trying to accomplish? What is What would a win look like? And, and what's your motivation for being there? Well, I mean, Glenn and I have talked about this a lot, actually, because whenever we're out there, we get to talk about it. The goal is to save souls and save lives. And so because of that, we have to come at it from a distinctly biblical uh, worldview where when we are speaking to somebody now, I mean, now, as I say this, you know, you have to be prayed up. You have to be led by the spirit. You're not going to, it's not a, you're not a robot going through the motions, the same spiel every time somebody goes in. But the goal when you're there is the most immediate need is a child that's being led to the slaughter. And so the Bible tells us, speak out for those who are are being, you know, who, who can't speak out for themselves, speak out for the voiceless, defend those who are being led to the slaughter. So there's a uh, biblical imperative to speak out for the voiceless to try to call these women away from the murder that they are about to commit and so there's that immediate need but ultimately the gospel has to be presented because saving a life is phenomenal and we're called to defend and do that but we're also called to be ministers of reconciliation. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ. We have the Great Commission. And so if we go at it without the gospel, we've really failed in our mission overall. And so the way that you need to do that is something that you need to be prayed up, prayed up and, and ready for uh, when you when you go. But you, you have to have both. And, and you have to have them uh, in a sense where... You, you can't min- minimize either one. So when you're going out there with the gospel, you know, guys, we know enough Christians to know that there's different ways of presenting the gospel. And one of the ways that people do present the gospel, and I'll reserve my thoughts on this method for right now, is to say God loves you exactly the way you are, no matter what you do or have done or, or will do. God loves you just the same. And, um, you know, will you please receive the gift of of 
Jesus Christ and, and God's grace. Um, and then there's another way of presenting the gospel, and I'm drawing hopefully not a false dichotomy here, but there's another way that says, look, you're a, you're a sinner, you're depraved, you're on your way to hell, and you're facing God's wrath. Will you please turn, you know, turn or burn, essentially? Um, where do you guys fall on that spectrum? Are you somewhere in the middle? And do you think that that's a, a fair, are those fair alternatives or am I, am I painting straw men here? No, I think that's the truth. I've heard I've heard that message, and I, I don't believe that's not the message that I preach. My message is more. I try to be balanced. I don't want to be the guy, the angry street preacher, like yelling at anyone. But I want to let them know that they're, especially, well, not just at the clinic, anywhere, um, that God isn't. They're not reconciled to God. They are God's enemy in their sin, and they're going to face Him someday. And He is a just God, and He will punish sinners. But the good news of the gospel is that our God is a forgiving, loving God who is merciful and he's extending his hand of fellowship and reconciliation. But there's only one way. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. So we let them know that your, your God will forgive your sins, but only through Christ. And we would invite you to come and be reconciled to God through Christ. So. Okay, so when you said you don't do it that way, you mean you don't do it the way of God loves you exactly as you are, and and you don't right. take you don't no. take that route, yeah. No, because I don't believe that's true. Go on. You know, I, I think you know I'm not a Bible scholar or anything, so you guys can correct me. You guys you have the beard for it, though. To be fair, though, you do have the beard for it. Well, well, praise God for the beard. But you know, God, <laughs> God's where he people do have like common grace, and um, God does love the world in a sense, like John three sixteen. But outside of Christ, you know, they're they're not in a loving relationship with their Lord. You know, Jesus said, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." So, if if they're living in a way that's against God's rule and against God's character, well, then they're not in a position, you know, of God's, you know, love if you want to say it that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In in one sense, God loves everyone because he sends the rain on the crops of the yeah. just and the unjust. In another sense, though, uh, you know, God is angry at sin and can't yeah. even look at sin. He's so holy. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God without yeah. being reconciled through Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, I would say that there's a difference between um, God loving you and God delighting in you. And yeah. God has a common grace kind of love for everybody, of course. The reason that uh, somebody gets to take their next breath is because of the loving providence of God that is allowing them to take that next breath. But that does not mean that God delights in them because God delights in his children. And the only John 1 tells us that it is only those who have uh, called on the name of Christ who are given the right to be called children of God, those who have yeah. believed in Christ. So if you are not uh, saved, if you do not believe in Christ, uh, if you have not sworn your allegiance to him, then there is a sense that God's love and his common grace is still poured out on you, but he does not delight in you. And the cup of wrath that you have um, been filling up with your life of rebellion has not been poured out on the cross. Um, and and it will be poured out on you if you, if you do not repent and believe the gospel. Yeah, 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 that's right. And so, so you know, uh, of course, there's two ways of looking at, at that message. On the one hand, it's, it's well, how, how could you say something so judgmental? How could you say something that's, you know, uh, these people need love. These people are at a low point in their life. Um, you know, 
that that sounds so harsh. The other way of looking at it, though, of course, is look, these people are about to make a very terrible mistake. And there is a God in heaven. And and this isn't something that we're not sure about. We're not thinking maybe there might be a God in heaven who might one day call us to account or, you know, might one day hold us accountable for um, what we're what we do in this life. But on the contrary, God sees, hears, and knows everything that we do. And the last thing that you want to do right now is sin before an almighty God, because you will have to give an account to him. Yeah. Now, on your own, left, you know, this is the message that we bring, right? The 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 ability of a human soul to change course is non-existent, apart from God's grace. That's why the message is not um, change your ways and become a good person, and then God will approve of you. It's it's recognize who God is, who you are, what God has done to save you, and embrace that. Receive Jesus Christ. It's a it's a reception of a gift. It's not. A, uh, a a lifestyle change. The lifestyle change comes, but it it doesn't come before the repentance and faith. And really, repentance is getting off the throne of your own life and recognizing that Jesus belongs up there. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's why the message is so important at the clinic. If we were just there simply to save babies and we were able to get a mom to turn and love her baby, yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, praise God for that. But if she doesn't have a heart change, if she doesn't have an encounter with the living God, what's going to stop her next time? Right. You know, she'll, she'll, she might be back. She was abortion minded this time and we got her to change her mind. What about on baby number two or three? She needs to come into saving relationship with Jesus Christ and recognize that children, they're not an STD. Children are a blessing from the Lord. That's what his word says. They say he says that his children are like an arrow in the uh, quiver of a man and children are to to be received as a blessing they're to be nourished and brought up in a, the admission admiration of the lord and then we're to fire them off into the world and to wreak holy havoc on the darkness that's in this world so we should be embracing those children raising them up and uh yeah pushing back the darkness they're they're that's the way that god has ordained to bring forth justice on the earth is by families and Planned Parenthood, especially too. I, I hope this isn't off topic, but the, everything that would that could be against a family—that's what Planned Parenthood supports. They support abortion. They support um, transgender hormone therapy. They support uh, vasectomies of cutting off the male's ability to bring forth offspring. Um, anything that can go against the dominion mandate that our Lord has given us, that's what Planned Parenthood is at war against. So we're there to bring the message of the gospel to all those people so that they could come out of the darkness and come be part of God's kingdom and advance his kingdom. So. Right. And and uh, I would also add to that, too, that, you know, for those who are thinking that, well, we go there just to shame these women and, and things like that. First of all, that's that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that there is no way to to bring the true gospel without an element of shame for those who receive it. And what I mean is it, it's that kind of shame that leads to godly sorrow, which then leads to repentance. And that's what Paul tells us in Second Corinthians 7. Well, that's what we want. That's what we had to go through. Mm-hmm. I would hope that those who um, are saved recognized that godly sorrow leads to repentance. And so 
if you are bringing the message of the gospel in a way that never causes godly sorrow, then you are bringing an incomplete gospel. Yeah. Because you can't have the good news unless you communicate effectively the bad news. Yeah. And the bad news is you are estranged from God and you've been living a life of rebellion. And the proof of that is happening right now in front of us. And that's actually one of the great things, Joel, about going to Planned Parenthood is, you know, to evangelize at Planned Parenthood, the 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 ice is already broken. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you, you don't have How to so? come up. How so? Well, you don't have to come up with, uh, you know, two cards and say, hey, can I ask you a question? Which one's bigger? And then you start talking about, you know, mm -hmm. leading that into the gospel and things like that, um, which I, I have no problem with Ray Comfort. I, I, I love him dearly and what he does. I'm just saying that, you know, he has to go in and create an icebreaker to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the icebreaker is already present. I don't mm -hmm. have to go in and start asking them to what sins have you committed what, what are we what are we looking at here what's your life looking like we know what's going on right now because you are moments away from murdering your child and they and know so, it. and they know it yeah and the bible tells us that god hates the hands that shed innocent blood so we move right into that not like i said and there's it's not a robotic you know say this line every single time but uh as you're prayed up as you're going in in order to communicate the true and full gospel, there has to be an element of godly sorrow that is brought about because of the word of God having an effect on the rebellious heart. And the spirit communicates that. And so when we see someone who's angry or saddened by what they're doing, that's actually a positive thing. Mm -hmm. right. Not because we're there just to stir the pot, right? but because the reaction shows that there is a conflict going on between the rebellious heart and the word of God speaking to that rebellious heart. And the worst response to the word of God is apathy, right? I mean, so, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you know, I would say that as we go and communicate the gospel and as we're clear about it, some people have different ways of wanting to do that there at Planned Parenthood. And I don't really agree with all of them. I think on the spectrum, you can find people that uh, won't communicate the gospel at all and instead just say, Jesus loves you. Yeah. Um, and then on the other end, you'll have people who really uh, cause a stumbling block to the gospel because they're shrill. Um, they're just using one-liners instead of actually using that to get to the gospel. And I would say that's uh, that's incomplete as well. And so uh, there's those of us like myself and Glenn and others who really go with this heart of communicating the gospel of truth and love. But unfortunately, uh, well, I should say fortunately for, for, for me, because truth and love that was communicated to me did cause me to feel godly sorrow. Right. right. And that's the thing, too. Uh, how, many, how many of us as believers have experienced the hard truth? of God's word. And just like Hebrews 4.12 says, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it does cut down to the point of separating your soul from your spirit, your joints from your marrow. You know, it's it, God's word is, is invasive, man. It's, it's, it, it's incisive. It's uh, sometimes brutal, but, but that is the very thing that we need. Um, you know, I've had two family members with cancer. My wife and my son both had cancer. And so they both have had to have multiple surgeries. And I, I, guess what? They are not fun. 
surgery. You know, my wife had to have a, a thyroidectomy and that is not fun. And, and even as her husband, I was, you know, it was like the longest three hours of my life waiting for her to come, come out of the operating room. Uh, but I'm so grateful that the surgeon's scalpel was really sharp. I'm, I'm really, really grateful that it, you know, it was so incisive and that he was so skilled because that's what we needed in order to make her well again. That's what we needed in order to, um, you know, to make sure she came out alive. And God's word does the exact same thing. It's sharp. It it can sting. It can hurt. But if you have ears to hear it, if God grants you that grace, if he grants you belief in Jesus Christ is the best possible thing that you, you look back and then you go, man, I didn't like hearing that in the moment, but I am so glad that someone had the spine to share that with me. Right. Right. So, okay, um, we're getting, the comments are really pouring in here. So before we get to those though, guys, um, could we just talk really quickly about for our listeners, for our viewers, is it time for them to consider this kind of ministry? Because I know that there are going to be people watching, at least I, I believe so, who have been thinking like I was for years and years, I really want to get out there. And I want to preach. I don't know what to say, though. Do I hold up the sign with the mutilated baby? Do I just hold up a sign that says abortion kills? Do I do I hold up the babies are murdered here sign? What do I do? How do I get started? So two questions for both of you guys. One, is this something every Christian needs to be doing, or, or at least our listeners? And I don't know how you're going to answer that. And two, how can they get started? And then we'll take the audience questions. Who wants to go first? Go first, Glenn. Go first. Okay. Yeah, I think... I think every Christian should be involved at some level. Do I think every Christian needs to come out to the Planned Parenthood every Saturday? No, you could, you could definitely do that. But at some level, because of the, the rate of how many children are being killed, um, we really need to step up. We need to, these children are being let off to the slaughter and at some level, whether they go volunteer to CPC, I think the best thing at local churches, we should try to start abortion ministries where um, women could know they could come to the church itself. Boy, that would be a great thing if people could know that they'll get the help they need at a church. And uh, yeah, I don't know. At, there's so many things we could cover in that. But yeah, I think everybody should. And I think an important thing to remember, though, is that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be somebody who studied all this stuff. I think you just need to come as you are and uh, get involved because God can use the foolish things of this world to shame the, the wise and the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And I'm, I'm perfect evidence of that. I was never a good speaker or anything, but I go there and I'm just faithful. And uh, every so often, I'm sure God uses it in some way. So uh, just, just go take that next step and get involved at some level. Tyler. Yeah. So I agree with everything Glenn had said. When I talk to people, I say the same thing, which is you don't have to do exactly what I do. In fact, what Glenn and I do really is like the last ditch effort. Yeah. We are the, the last line of defense, right? What I actually want to do here, because I was assuming like th something like this question was coming, you know, uh, Joe Biden uh, quoted uh, Augustine in his, in his uh, inauguration address. And a lot of Christians were really high on that. Um, and so I actually wanted we're to read. Really high on that. How, how do you mean? Oh, everyone. Was, well, not everyone, but a lot of them were excited. Like, oh, okay, got it. He's, yeah. he's, you know, he's quoting 
Yeah. You know, Augustine, when was the last time you heard something like that? Yeah. Uh, well, I wanted to read something very briefly that kind of, I think, helps answer this question of what I think uh, Christians need to be doing. And uh, it's from uh, Augustine's City of God. And he's talking about Christians. He says, Christians are not so afraid of the wicked as to yield to their villainous threats to the extent of committing crimes like theirs. But though they do not commit them, they too often fail to reprehend them. For although they might perhaps convert some by such rebuke, they fear that if the attempt failed, their safety and reputation might be endangered or destroyed. And this is not due to prudence, nor is it because they see their reputation and safety as essential means whereby mankind may receive the benefit of instruction. It is rather due to weakness because they delight in flattery and popularity and because they dread the judgment of the mob and the torture or death of the body. In fact, they are constrained by self-interest, not by the obligations of charity. And, you know, as I read that, you know, this is written at a time of the collapse of Rome. And there's a lot of sin going on in Rome. And, you know, I can't help but think that what we what we seem to be in a lot of ways witnessing is the collapse of the United States, at least as we know it, right? And so I don't think that's too much of a stretch that at least as we know it, there's huge changes mm -hmm. taking place. And I can't help but think of how much that applies today to Christians who really are so afraid to be a voice for the voiceless because of the way it might offend people, because of the fact that it might ruin the reputation. Like I have a reputation now, uh, even from friends of mine from school and stuff like back in college where I don't look very kind or I should say I don't look very nice because of the way I go about abortion ministry. Didn't you go to a Christian college, Tyler? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so, and I'm, I'm not just calling out like it, it's not meant to be, cause that's not what this no, no, we need names. About, Tell but... us names right now. We're going to go protest outside their house. <laughs> no, no, I would never, never do that. Like that's kidding. If you couldn't yeah. see me, I was laughing and shaking my head. Oh, okay. I'm kind of like half looking down No, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying I'm to figure out if I'm like looking at the camera later. or not for, for our listeners later. Yeah. Um, but, but the point is though, that, you know, Christians, we need to stop being pro-life in theory, and we need to start taking action because the Bible calls us to, and it's the most loving thing that we can do. And it doesn't have to be standing in front of Planned Parenthood preaching. Some of us are called to do that. And if you are, praise God, go and do it. Like, you know, have the courage to do it, go out there and do it. But if not, then praise God for the way that he's gifted you and start praying about where he wants you to be working against abortion. But we all need to be doing something. And, um, you, you know, I, I, we just can't let the fear of man and the fear of the mob and the, the, the fear of being looked at as not nice no. and unpopular keep us from being a voice for the voiceless. And, and I would just say this too. If you are standing up for a cause and the world is applauding you, then it's probably not a biblical cause. But what about our Christian credibility, Tyler? I mean, we need we need we need uh, to you know, have to have a great reputation in the world so that we can be, uh, you know, hey, look, even church elders. To be fair, church elders are supposed to be well thought of by outsiders. Right. I mean, that's what do you think? That's because um, that's because we're supposed to be above reproach, and so 
being above reproach means we're not getting caught in lies. We're mm-hmm. not getting caught cheating on our spouses. We're not, you know, stealing. We are not being violent right. and rioting the capital, right? Instead, what we're doing is, or, or going out and rioting and being a part of any sort of, mm-hmm. you know, cause that just doesn't line up with scripture. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that the world is going to look at uh, the wisdom that we have in the discernment of good and evil and say, oh yeah, well, we're on board with that. That's totally fine. Because the reality is Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 tells us that um, it's only those who practice the righteousness of the word of God who are able to discern good from evil anyway. So yeah. if you have the world looking at you and saying that, yeah, um, he's got a good reputation because he doesn't lie, cheat, steal, but I don't like what he does with abortion, then I would say, well, that's still a good reputation. That's, a good reputation. that's what Paul's talking about. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know what else too? Um, Jesus gives this great illustration about a steward who is managing his master's accounts. And um, turns out uh, you know, he's been skimming off the top and, and the master finds out, uh, or he hasn't been doing a good job. So the master is going to fire him. And, the steward goes out and essentially cuts everybody's bill by 20%, 50%. And he does this in order to ingratiate himself to his master's former debtors so that when he's fired and he's without work, one of them will hire him. He's, he's sort of feathering his nest, lining up his opportunities. One of the, the application pieces from that parable is that people of the world are shrewd and know how to uh make deals go back and forth and and be kind of crafty and and be worldly wise that's what we say being worldly wise and um the uh oh wait a minute wait a minute now i lost my train of thought we're talking about being worldly wise being shrewd tyler what was the last thing you just said right before i was talking about hebrews 5 12 through 14 talking about that in order to discern good from evil you need to be practicing the word of righteousness yeah 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 and i was Oh, oh, the good reputation piece. Yeah. So oh, yeah. The world can recognize um, the world's not dumb. Like, like to say that someone is sinful, depraved is not the same thing as saying that they're dumb. So if they're looking at Christians and they're going, no, wait a second. These Christians are just agreeing with everything that we say. They're just whichever way the cultural winds are blowing, man. These Christians, whatever this magazine or this public speaker is just following the popular trends. Guys, that's not a respectable position. That's not how, like, a lot of times Christians think that they're going to win the world by doing that, by following the trends. But the world is not stupid. They invented worldly wisdom. They know when we're just trying to ingratiate ourselves with the world and not standing on principle. And I've actually, on the contrary, and I'm not saying I do this all perfectly by any stretch, but I've actually won the, the respect of people who are diametrically opposed to my beliefs because I stuck to my beliefs. Now they might totally disagree and think I'm an idiot for believing them, but they actually respect the fact that I stick with my convictions. So, you know, I would just encourage believers out there who think that you need to compromise on truth in order to win the world's respect. They're not dumb. They can see through that. And you're not really winning anybody the way you think you are. Uh, You know what I'm saying? Even if, even if you think you are, you're not. And, and the reality is Christians need to re-recognize that we're in battle. We are in battle against the ideas and principalities and views of the world. 
So when I'm talking to a non-believer or, you know, or outside Planned Parenthood and let's say someone gets mad, and like I recognize that I'm not in battle against this person per se. Um, I don't hate this person by any means, right? but I do right. hate his worldview. I right. do hate his ideas. Um, and so I'm in battle against them. And Christians, I think, pull back from it like, oh, ooh, we're not, we're peaceful. Well, no, we're peacemakers. In order to be a peacemaker, you have to enter into the battle no. to make peace. Like we're not just creating warfare for the sake of warfare. We're creating warfare or entering into warfare that's already there, I should say, in order to create peace by bringing those people into peace with God, into the kingdom of righteousness. And if you're not going to enter the battle, then you're really not doing your job as a Christian. And I actually, you know, um, if you don't mind, there's one more passage, just one more passage, not from Augustine. It's from the Bible this time that I just want to read. And it's Ezekiel 33, 6. And it says, he indeed will die in his sin, but I will require his blood at the hand of the watchman. And what he's talking about is this idea of um, there's a responsibility for Christians and especially Christians in positions of leadership to be bringing the gospel to the lost. And if you refuse to do it, the person uh, who's not saved will still die with their blood guilt, right? The, the, the blood of sin is still a, upon them, but right. or the guilt of sin is still upon them. But there is a requirement that God demands of you as well as a minister of the gospel. And if you don't, if you don't, um, follow that command, then he will hold you accountable for your cowardice. Yeah. 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 That, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, Glenn, anything to add to that before we get to some comments? Yeah, the only thing I, the only thing that comes to my mind is Rudy Bochum and how he always says, you know, the 11th commandment is the, the Christians have to be nice and it voids the other ones. You know, sometimes the things that we do don't look nice to the world. But I'll tell you what, we are the when we are at that clinic and we are calling those moms to love their children and we are willing to give up anything, provide anything they need so that we're, we're removing anything that would push them in those doors and we're offering them even adoption. And um, we're loving them more than anyone else in the world at that moment. Their friends who drop them off and encourage them, they're doing the right things. That is not love. That is hateful what they're doing. And uh, the people who welcome them in, the, the clinic escorts who say, you're, you're making the right choice, don't listen to them. Those people, they are, that is the most unloving people in the world. But for us to stand there, it is, it is definitely not because we hate them. We, we love them enough to tell them the truth. And we love them enough to let them know that pretty soon they're going to regret this. It may be instantly, maybe 10 years down the road, but they're going to give themselves a world of pain because of what they're putting, what they're going to do. And we want to relieve them from that. And ultimately, they're going to meet their God. And we do not take any pleasure in the punishment of the wicked, just like yeah. God. Yeah. So we want them to, to repent and yeah, turn to Christ. Absolutely. Uh, that's a good word. All right. Well, let's get into our viewer questions. And actually, the first couple of them come from Facebook. This is something that I posted beforehand before we did this episode. Um, you know, what questions do you want to ask these guys? And uh, the first one that came in was this. What is the support from their church like? So I know you two are not part of the same church, but maybe just real briefly, 
does your church support this? Um, you know, what's been the response? Yeah, if I could go real quick, because I'm running out of time. But um, my church supports it. Um, my church has me in a position where I can lead people out there. Uh, they even once in a while have me speak at like um, Sanctity of Life Day. So I'm grateful for that. Um, my church, I I haven't had the opportunity to be able to reach out and really um, to see what limits could be pushed as far as how much we would help. But I'm sure that if somebody really did need the help and they needed assistance or even adoption, I know I have four four families at my church who would be willing to adopt a child who would love to. I'm positive that the resources would come in, whether it's from my church or, you know, Facebook friends out there or Tyler's church, we'd get the help that they would need um, if, if they would, you know, offer to, to take the help. So awesome. Uh, and with that, I probably got to bow out. I'm sorry, but yes, yeah, sir, brother. Glad thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah. I'm praise God. I was able to. Yeah. Yep. We'll see you out there soon. Okay. God, God bless you, you guys. Okay. Bye. Okay. We'll see you. Uh, Tyler, how's your church been responding? Um, yeah, I mean, I just feel really blessed to be a part of a church that has really been very supportive. Uh, we were obviously anti-abortion before I started going out there mm -hmm. um, and involved in different ways. But they've been also very supportive in the way that uh, God has called me to be involved and have even come and supported me when I spoke at city council meetings. I felt the, the love and presence of them there, uh, being there for that and prayer. Um, and I've also had the privilege uh, and honor of being out there with some of them uh, periodically outside of uh, Planned Parenthood um, and seeing them be there and kind of experience that and and pray. And for some of them, they, they spoke. And um, so I, I just, you know, I, we were a very small church. We're probably about, you know, 70 to 80 people. Um, and I would just say that I feel very blessed with the uh, amount of support that I get from those from those people, especially because um, they they don't have a problem with the fact that I don't seem very nice sometimes uh, because they love the truth at that church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, now, okay, tougher question. This one's coming from Facebook as well. And uh, from someone, this is actually from a guy that I, I knew growing up, I used to be pretty good friends with. Here's what he says. What are better and more effective ways to reach people and support people when they're at their most vulnerable and traumatic time in their lives, rather than further traumatizing people? So, you know, the assumption here, of course, I mean, you can read the assumption, what you're doing out there is traumatizing them, and you're kicking them when they're down. So could you address mm -hmm. Could you could you address that? Yeah, where to begin on this? Okay, yeah. so first, let's start with the first part of the question. What are better and more effective ways to reach people and support people when they're at a point like this in their life? Well, I would say the only way to do that better would be for the church to be publicly bringing the gospel um, a lot more than they are in the public square, unashamedly, um, the biblical gospel, preaching it, teaching it, discipling others, having churches that actually practice church discipline, having churches that actually follow through in uh, James 1, 27, in supporting the widow and the orphan and their affliction, uh, having a church that uh, fosters transparency and that doesn't tolerate uh, sin 
but will confront sin in love and embrace any repentant sinner, no matter how bad the sin is. So that's what needs to be done all around before anyone even gets to an abortion clinic. So that is certainly more effective than what Glenn and I do, because like I said, Glenn and I, we're just the last ditch effort before they go through with this. Um, oh yeah, I got muted there. Yeah. You guys are the last line of defense, right? Ideally someone would have heard the gospel prior to that. The church would have, you know, intervened or, you know, Christian family members would have intervened and, and, uh, reached out in love and, and with an offer of adoption, support, um, knowledge, care, you know, right. all rooted in gospel ministry. Right. So, well, like my father-in-law says, he always goes like, when's the best time to plant a shade tree? Oh yeah. 10 years ago. Everyone's probably heard this 10 years ago. Yeah, that's good. When's the next best time today. So when you look at a position like abortion, you say, well, when is the best time to reach out to a woman who may be, you know, experiencing trauma and vulnerability? Well, 10 years ago would have been great uh, to talk about the gospel with her, to love on her, to disciple her. Hopefully, you know, you would imagine for some of these parents who are Christian parents to actually be uh, raising their kids in the way they should go, uh, catechizing them, um, things like that not sending them to the public indoctrination camps that we like to call schools. Those would be ways that, you know, you could be taking care of this way in the past. Now, um, to the second part of the question, uh, which was, uh, I can't see it right now, but about um, traumatizing people who are already vulnerable and being traumatized. Well, let me put it this way. The goal is not to further traumatize them Unless unless you consider pointing out their sin and hopefully the word of God creating godly sorrow traumatizing. Mm. And if and if that's what you want to call traumatizing, then I don't have a problem with traumatizing them. Mm. Because in that sense, we all need to be traumatized by our sin in mm. order to confess and repent and uh, bring ourselves to the foot of the cross begging for forgiveness. Mm. Um, but I, you know. And, and I kind of said this earlier, but the goal is not to just go out and scream shame at them. We're not just mudslinging. All right. We go out, we bring the gospel and we bring options and, and we, we, we boldly profess that there is no hope in this building and there is no blessing that comes from sinning against God. The blessing and the hope is on this side of the street. Come over here. And we will walk with you. And let me just clarify this too. We make it very clear. We're not just going to walk with you for the next nine months. We will help you be the mother that God has created you to be. We right. will help you in the financial struggles that you are facing. We're not here to hold your hand for nine months and then abandon you. We will walk with you for the rest of your life if need right. be, because right. that's what the church is here for. Yeah. Um, and if that causes trauma, well, then, you know, so be it. I, I, I can't always control how people are going to take things that are said to them. Yeah. No, that that's that's right. I mean, there's there's really three sides to it. There's the objective truth that we're proclaiming. There's the contextualized message that we bring. In other words, you're going to preach the gospel differently to, uh, you know, a 17 year old girl who's you know really at her wits end versus, um, you know, uh, as often happens with abortion, maybe not often, but off, uh, plenty of times, you know, a pimp bringing in uh, a young girl who is human trafficking. Um, you're going right. to preach the gospel very differently to him than you are to a, a, a young girl who's, go on. 
Well, I was just going to say, and and I think there's also one faulty assumption that that every single woman going in here is vulnerable and traumatized in the same way. Correct. Correct. That's there right. are some women who certainly go in because they've been experiencing abuse yeah. or rape um, or they're just very scared. And you know what? We live in a fallen world where people rebel against God and they're given over to their depravity. So some people are having abortions because guys, I hate to say it, they want an abortion. Right. They are sacrificing their children to Molech. And so real quick, that's yeah. a reference to what the Canaanites used to do back in uh, the, the Bible times that uh, God warned Israel against doing. And sure enough, Israel ended up adopting the Canaanite ways, the Canaanite religion, and Israel was sacrificing their children to Molech as well. Molech, uh, there was these giant idols where people would dump their babies in. The idols were filled with flames and the babies would, uh, it was a really gruesome, horrible thing. You can understand why God hated it. And the modern equivalent of that would be these abortion clinics. Just explaining that for anyone who's not familiar with that biblical reference. Yeah. No, I've in so anyway, that's just to say that I think there's also a faulty assumption uh, because of the way that maybe the media portrays it or, mm. you know, what you've read on Christianity Today or Gospel Coalition, that every woman going in here is equally traumatized in the same way. And that's just, you know, after being out there so many times and talking to multiple women and men, I can just tell you it's not that's not really the case. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that it's, you know, it's ever an easy decision for any of them. But right. come on. I mean, shout your abortion, things like that. I mean, that and doesn't sound like people who are very traumatized. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even uh, Lena Wen, who the now the former president of Planned Parenthood, she was ousted from the organization for not being leftist enough and and being um, talking more about women's rights than about abortion, mm -hmm. and uh, you know trying to downplay how how, how you know the the percentage of Planned Parenthood's business that is abortion. And, um, you know, Planned Parenthood is an organization that is very proud of the fact that they do abortions. Although periodically they might come out with an advertising campaign that says, look, this is only 3% of what we do. The fact of the matter is that's where the majority of their revenue comes from. And they're not ashamed. They're, they're proud about it. They're working hard to end the stigma. And so, um, you know, what I was saying earlier, there's the objective truth, there's the contextualization for that person. And then the third perspective is the person themselves as, as they receive it. And that response could be all over the map. It could be mm -hmm. a traumatic response. It could be a grateful response. It could be anywhere in between. Yeah. And, and as Christians, we have to, we also have to, you know, because of human depravity, we have to take into account the fact that not every woman walking in is a victim. Right. And even if they are a victim of some travesty happening before, it doesn't discount the fact that what they are about to participate in is a sinful act of murder yeah. by punishing a child yeah. for the sin of somebody else. Right. You don't you don't kill the child of a rapist. Right. You don't kill the child of someone who commits incest. Children should not die for the sins of their parents. The Bible teaches that. Our law reflects that. And yet many of our fellow citizens are making that exact argument when they say that a child should be aborted if it's he or she is the product of rape or incest. And that's, that's just simply not, um, it's not, well, as, as a Christian, there's no way we can possibly support that. Right. Um, okay. We have a couple more comments. Are you good for a few more minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Okay. Um, some questions, some comments, snap trader to Flynn. This is on YouTube says intercede for those being led to slaughter, which is another duty. Um, 
he had previously said, he or she, it is the duty of every Christian to speak for the voiceless. Now, this makes me think of Proverbs 24, 11, which says, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. Mm-hmm. And what better, you know, if we were in the 1930s in Germany, this looks like hiding Jewish people in your basement. Right. Or, or helping them em- emigrate. You know, nowadays, what does that look like? How do we fulfill this nowadays? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess what I would say to that is I wholeheartedly agree, right? That's what the word of God tells us to do. I think what's interesting to me is I think that there are a lot of Christians who think that they would be on the side of good back in the 1930s. But the way that they're reacting to abortion today really shows that they would probably be the apathetic church that are singing their hymns while the smokestacks are rising in the background. Yeah. And they won't put their neck on the line or their reputation on the line. And the reality is it is a modern day Holocaust. I know some people don't even want to say that because how could you compare? It is a modern day Holocaust. Yeah. Millions and millions of babies are being slaughtered and we have been called. I mean, God has called us to intercede for those who are being unjustly put to death. Right. And so Christians, we cannot just simply sit back and say, well, God hasn't called me to that, but he has. Right. And and I'm like I said, it doesn't have to be exactly what I'm doing or what Glenn's doing, um, but he has called you to intercede for those who are being uh, led to the slaughter. Yeah, um, and it is a, it is a duty of every of every Christian. Yeah, um, same person's uh, Snap Trader to Flynn says um, it's it's not a ministry; it's a duty of every Christian, and. He had pre- he, he later on, he said, if you are in full agreement with abortion, just do nothing. You know, that's a good point because the fact is abortions are happening right now. So if you're fine with that, leave it alone, do nothing. But the flip side of that is if you're doing nothing, it, it um, you know, it shows that you, you aren't motivated enough by the evil that it is in order to do something. And you um, probably wouldn't have done anything in the past for any of those other injustices taking place. And I think that's what Christians need to yeah, slavery, Jim Crow, um, yeah. uh, right. the Holocaust. Um, yeah. You know, the, the rise of the persecu- the rise of Christian persecution in the Soviet, you know, Soviet bloc countries. Like yeah. the reality is, if you're not doing anything about abortion and you're okay with that, you just need to come to terms with the fact that you would have been okay with those things in the past as well. Yes, but don't just come to terms with it though. Face face that reality and. Let godly grief bring you to repentance, as as God's word says. Mm-hmm. And and prayerfully, and this is what I would counsel any Christian who's watching this, wants to get involved, to do. Start praying now, because the God that you're praying to is the God that can raise the dead, he can change hearts, and he's the God that cares about little children. He cares about the innocent. Right. And as followers of his son, as followers of Jesus, and ones who are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we pray to God, about something that is in line with his will and his heart, we can be confident that he will answer that prayer. And Tyler, that might not look like what you and I did the other week, what you do on a regular basis. It might look like something completely different. A first step might simply be, I'm going to write a check to end abortion now. Uh, I'm going to go and volunteer at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. And yeah, they're not as Christian as I would like. They're not as this, they're not as that. But it's a small step in the right direction. and um, the little acts of faithfulness like that, God can use. Right. And I would say, um, 
that what it does require though is stop being pro-life in theory right and being pro-life in practice yeah right and i would also say that the bible is clear that it does mean you need to be vocal yeah so so you, you just like you can't be a private christian that says like well i preach the gospel at all times and when necessary i use words well yeah that's not what the bible teaches and yeah. the bible also doesn't teach that well i can be a voice for the voiceless by never being vocal about being a voice for the voiceless right no you need to be a voice you need to be vocal yeah yeah i, I think that's right um a couple more questions here um this uh nick smelker who's a faithful watcher of the show he asks now this is i know this is in regard to um to what glenn, glenn. earlier yeah is it okay to have a vasectomy now um this is a form of permanent birth control uh it's not abortifacient in the way that um hormonal birth controls are uh what are your thoughts on that okay my first answer will be if this is a genuine question then you need to go to your pastor and talk to your pastor about it and your elders yeah. because i'm not your pastor mm -hmm. um, i have opinions on things i believe i i have uh, biblical warrant for opinions on things but in the end I, you know i don't know what you're going through i am not your pastor so you know there's only so much i can say about that i would say to some extent though vasectomies are not okay mm. Um, and that's not meant to say like that every single time it's not okay. Like I said, you need to go to your pastor. Sometimes there are medical reasons, things like that. I understand there's, you know, if, if you're someone who, you know, like if someone gets pregnant, like if we get pregnant, I will transfer a very harmful disease. Like I don't want to do that. Okay. I'm not touching on that. Mm -hmm. That's you. Like I said, go to your pastor. But if the only reason to have a vasectomy is so that you can just have sex without consequences, mm. I would say that, um, I would just say this, you need to go to God with that, pray about that and, and really examine why, why do you want to be able to just have sex without consequences? Mm. Um, and, and that's really all I have to say on that because I, I do think that, um, I, I do think that there is an element where we can be so bold in an area like that that it doesn't take into consideration um uh backgrounds and and reasons why medical procedures like that may be uh warranted for some people but yeah. by and large that's something that you need to go to god with and examine if it's i just i just you know i just want to have sex and not have to worry about kids man mm -hmm. well i would say that's probably not a very good motivation yeah, I'm with you on that. I love the call to talk to your pastor. I think that's very important. I think anything that we do, well, let me just start by saying we do have to differentiate between birth control methods that are uh, barrier methods or, um, you know, that, that abortifacient. Yeah, like that actually cause a, um, a, a fertilized embryo, which is a child at that point, a very early development child, but still a child. Um, anything that's ending the life or preventing that life to thrive, totally wrong, totally off the table. Um, with, with procedures like this, I think if you're, if you're doing it from the perspective of, like you said, Tyler, what really ultimately boils down to quite honestly, selfish means I, I, I want to just pursue my own goals and I don't want to have any kids. I don't want to fulfill, you know, uh, what, what is the natural purpose for marriage? Um, 
I would say that that's something to really check your heart about. Definitely talk to your pastor. Right. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and pass judgment on you, but I, I would say that that would be something that I would really prayerfully consider and even reconsider. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I think that kind of goes along with condoms as well, because that's usually the pushback pushback that I've gotten is, yeah. well, I mean, what about condoms? I mean, right. and I would say, well, yeah, it, it kind of in the same venue, which is if the sole purpose of, you know, using condoms, and this is, I'm assuming in the context of marriage, uh, of this, course, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. As Christians, if the sole purpose yeah. is, I'm just selfish, we don't want kids, we want to do our own thing, yeah. then yeah, you really got to examine that. But you know what? Your wife also is not just simply a baby making machine. Right. And therefore like, hey, as soon as, as soon as she's capable of having, you know, kids again, we're going at it, we're having yeah. more, you know, I, I think that's, um, you know, I think that's a wrong way of looking at it as well. Yeah. So that's where I stand on that. That's yeah. no, I, I think I think that's good. I, I think well, and and if a couple is you know intentionally limiting maybe how many biological children they can have so that they can adopt or something along, I'm there. There are different scenarios where right. I could I could see having that conversation. Again, talk to your pastor and and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna volunteer Tyler as well. He's a pastor. If you don't have a good pastor, reach reach out to or or whatever you are at your church. You're you're essentially a pastor. I'm associate pastor. Associate. Yeah. Pastor. Oh yeah, we <laughs> we talked about we that. Talked yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, you can reach out to me. Uh, reach out to Tyler. Um. But but we should never be planning our families in a way that's contradictory to what Scripture teaches about children which is that children are a blessing, right. you know, blessed is the man who fills his quiver full of them like arrows. So yeah, we need to respect God and, and obey his word. Um, when you guys have a good discussion with someone outside the abortion center, how did you bring it up or what tactic seemed to meet the least resistance? It's a good question. This is from Joel Donahue on YouTube. Thanks for the question, Joel. Oh man, what tactic? seem to me the least resistance i can't think of one that well i would say this it depends on how the person responds i've had people come up that just i i, I mean it's weird sometimes people will just be getting out and i'll just say hey come talk to me and they'll just come talk to me and it's like oh, oh well that was uh that was great thank you lord this was nice Didn't expect that. yeah <laughs> we could just talk and and we'll talk and um you know, there have also been times where people, you know, just a, a few weeks ago, actually, we had a, a couple there in their car and, um, you know, I was I was preaching and, um, you know, they rolled up their windows and then left. They never went in. Um, now, I, I don't know. Like, again, I'm, I'm not just saying like, oh, good. So there's a you know, there's a save or anything like that. But you do praise God for that regardless. Um, and you thank the Lord for the fact that it seemed to be a tactic that was messed with pretty. uh pretty small resistance. <laughs> there are other times where people are really angry. I've had people, you know, threaten me, things like that. Um, try to hit me with their car, uh, you know, brandish firearms, things like that. And, you know, um, I don't know how to, if there's really any way to be out there without getting that kind of response occasionally. And right. so any sort of tactic i would say uh like how do i do it to meet the least resistance i can tell you some bad tactics which is don't go um or or go and don't preach the gospel Th those would be some bad tactics and they probably wouldn't be met with much resistance 
But if you're going to go there and be bold for the gospel uh, as a tactic, then um, I, I, it really just depends on where the person's at. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Hmm. Well, I, I remembered when I asked you and Glenn about how much success you guys had had at that clinic, at that particular one where you guys were there in Aurora. You know, I think you both said not much, not much success. There are some clinics where it's like, and I, I shouldn't even call them clinics. I, I always try not to call them clinics because a clinic is where you go to heal. Uh, yeah. Whereas a, an abortion mill or abortion chamber or abortion facility is where you go to kill. Um, but, uh, you know, there are some facilities where you go and people get saved all the time. Yeah, I know. And there's other ones. I see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like every week we saved a baby. It's like, man, that's praise God. Praise God. Not yeah. so much where we are. Yeah. Um, it's a very weird zone that you enter. And I will say this Planned Parenthood, for some reason, it's always like 10 degrees colder there mm. or in the summer, like 10 degrees hotter. I don't understand what's going on there. Uh, what kind of weird bubble you enter into. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a very tough ministry yeah, and, and it is very tough when you, when you don't see a lot of success and what becomes very tough is when people who are pragmatists say, well then, you know, I mean, why are you even there? Right. There are better ways, obviously, if you're not seeing a lot of results and it's like, right. well, that's, you know, that's, we're not pragmatists. So. Yeah. yeah, that's right. All right. Um, oh, I, you know what I still can't get over to Tyler is that weird music and sound effects they were playing. I mean, it's like. It's like, if you were to imagine, what kind of music did they play outside the old Molech temples? You know, or like, like what, what kind of music would they play in a place that was just designed to psych you out? And, you know, you get this feeling like you're trapped. I mean, this is like, like, um, like psychological experiment kind of music. It's very weird. Like it, they even have tracks. I don't know if they played it when you were there, but occasionally they have tracks where it's like, it's like the sound of kids playing on a playground. Yeah. No, I didn't hear that when I was there, but I remember you telling me about it. Yeah. And, and, and you know, if that's not sick, uh, I don't know what is. Um, but they, but it's like, you know, Planned Parenthood, they understand that this is a war. You oh, know, yeah. it's not a hot war. It's not a, well, for them it is because they're out killing people. But, um, you know, for us, we wage war with the truth, right? And and according to scripture, we overcome the world by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And that's what we're out there to bring. Um, I got one more question. And I think you might actually know this person. Yeah. That's uh, my mom. That's not my mom. That's our, that's their dog. But the name is my mom's. <laughs> Teresa Terdici. How do yeah. we get our church involved? What would you say to your mom? Call me. We'll talk about. Yeah, <laughs> um, look, she she commented on the podcast. She's calling you, man. Um, Don't no, leave your mom hanging here. We've talked about this before. Uh, and when I talked to my parents, they're all the way out in California. Oh, um, in the in the Bay Area, so they're they're just outside San Francisco. That's and, right. That's where you grew up. Right. Yeah. And you know, how do you get your church involved? Well, the first way is you got to be an example. Um. The don't go rogue. First of all, like you mm -hmm. don't go rogue. Uh, you got to go to your church elders. You, you got to go to the, you, you know, and say like, look, this is what God's put on my heart. Um, how can we battle this in our church? And then you got to follow through and do it. You, you gotta, you know, you gotta pray. You gotta seek the Lord for how he's gifted you and how he wants you to fight abortion, uh, through the local church, through your local church. And then you need to go to the leadership of that church and get with them and talk with them and say, this is what the Lord's put on my heart. Can we pray about this? 
Um, if they don't like the way that, you know, you want to go about it, what you need to do is say like, okay, well then what can we do? What are you guys okay with? Right. Um, and, uh, and also you have to be patient. One of the things that we need to recognize is that on anything, we know that churches don't move very quickly and, um, that's not always a bad thing, but there's patience involved that if a church doesn't respond favorably the first time you bring it up, then be patient, uh, go back to prayer, bring it back to them, you know, things like that. Um, bring more resources, show them uh, why this is important to be involved in this ministry um, and, uh, you know, and stick it out, uh, you know, stick it out hardcore. Unless, of course, your church is just not biblical anyway, and they don't care about abortion, and they're okay with sodomy and things like that. And in that case, you should leave that church and find a biblical church. I think you're muted. Yes, I was. Thanks. As we bring this to a close then, Tyler, i got to say, I really appreciated this. Uh, it was yeah, so thanks. good to to have you and Glenn on and you know to hear from you guys. And look, let me just encourage you all who are watching. If you are convicted by this or encouraged in any way, um, you can go ahead and get in touch with us. You can get in touch by going to or by emailing me at thethink.institute at gmail.com. And if you've got a, a comment or a question you want to get in touch with Tyler, you want to email me, I can I can relay that message to Tyler. Um, or Tyler, are you okay if people shoot you an email? Yeah, that's fine. What's the best email to reach you at? Uh, Tyler at oasisaurora.com. All right, I'll put that up on the screen. Tyler at oasis aurora.com that's the name of this church so yeah definitely drop us a line let us know and look if you just are enjoying the show you want to just let us know that too man I, I i love that feedback now if you got some negative feedback i want to i want to put tyler's um email back up you just send that right over to tyler all right because uh, i don't have time for that nonsense but positive stuff can go to me that sounds great i can take um, it <laughs> <laughs> that's right um he's less fragile so um, thank you for watching. And let me just give a, a quick plug for the group that Tyler and I are both a part of called the Christian Culture Builders Group on Facebook and MeWe. Now, the really cool thing that we didn't mention yet is that Glenn is also a member of that group, as is his son, who I, whom I met when I went out to the Planned Parenthood in Aurora. So that was such a cool thing um, to, to meet and gather and have those guys say, hey, we're part of the Christian Culture, culture Builders Group. And um, so I just thought that was very cool. And if you are interested in meeting other like-minded believers who are working through the spheres of authority and the pillars of society to make an intentional difference in this world for the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ, this is the group for you. So check that out, Christian Culture Builders Group on Facebook and MeWe. Check that out. And let's see, what other information do I have for you? Yes. Uh, so I, I put a link up on the screen right now. So my wife and I are support raising missionaries through an organization called Crew, C-R-U. Literally, the podcast, uh, all of our courses that we do, the website, all of that, the Hammer and Anvil discipleship cohorts, it's all funded through contributions that come by way of Crew. We're missionaries. We're not sent to the Far East or the Middle East or Africa. We're sent to the Fox Valley of Chicagoland. And so um, if you like this work and you want to support us, you can go to give.cru.org slash 1018841. Give.cru.org slash 1018841. Some of you have actually answered that call and we've we've gotten some new ministry partners through this podcast. And I'm so 
grateful to all of you. Thank you guys for supporting this work and for making sure that uh, my family has food on the table. So, um, Tyler, where can people follow you? Tell us about um, the work that you're doing and how people can get can get in touch. You already shared your email, but what else? I mean, I'm on Facebook, uh, but really, uh, um, you know, if you're if you're looking for a church and you're in the Chicagoland area close to Aurora, then you're more than welcome to come join us. Uh, we're meeting. We're we're not requiring masks. Um, we're partaking in the Lord's Supper. So come join us and um, and feast with us and and, and hear the word of God. Um, you know, if you're already part of a, a good church, then praise God. What's the name and of your church? Oasis. Oasis. It's the Oasis Church in downtown Aurora. And so, uh, yeah, that's really the best way. Or you know, you can always email me or hit me up on Facebook. Awesome. Um, but I'm not really like, you know, that's it. Yeah, sounds great. All right, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. Look forward to getting out there at the Planned Parenthood again with you very soon, Lord willing. Yep. Thanks, Joel. And um, I'll talk to you later, man. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the road of your spiritual journey. That's about all we have for you today. So until next time, I hope it made you think.